Franklin David Macaulay left his mark on this world in a variety of ways. He was honest and colorful, creative and fun. He was strong and kind. He was loyal. He was funny. He was too smart for his own good most of the time. He called me Snake Eyes, among other things, but he gave me the greatest gift of a son who embodies the best parts of both of us. I will forever be grateful for that. When I first met Dave in 1980, I was playing girls softball for Denny Roy, working at the Aurora Advertiser as a reporter, and getting ready to start my sophomore year of college at Missouri Southern in Joplin. I was vying for an international internship through Joplin Rotary to Madrid, Spain. I went to help a colleague set up for an icebreaker event for her five-year class reunion. Little did I know, my world would never be the same after that day. I saw her this past summer while giving a tour of the Alumni Center. She asked if I was still speaking to her. Are you mad at me? Heck no, I said. How could I be mad about that part of my journey? She was the 1975 graduate of Marionville High School and was hosting an icebreaker event at her home. At some point, I was in the floor putting some decorations and newspaper clippings together when I looked up to see someone staring at me. He had a beer in his hand, a mustache, and dark glasses. He was perched rather precariously in his cut-off denim shorts on her couch. He literally guffawed and said, Oh my gosh, you have snake eyes. One eye just went one way and one went the other. To cut this part of the story short, I was not impressed and said something original like, Take a picture, mister. It will last longer. I decided he was crazy when he later told me I would someday be the mother of his son as I stood up to leave. What a nutty thing to say to a stranger. We were married the following summer, and ten years of adventures and memories ensued. In 1990, I did just what he predicted. I became the mother of his son, Jake. One of my favorite memories involves him coming home from a railroad stint in Texas and getting out his telescope. I was working as news editor at the Monette Times, and he posed the idea of having a Community Haley's Comet Watch event at the Monette City Park that spring. I ran the idea by my bosses, and we wrote a few stories and invited folks to come join us. We talked to the science teacher at the school and rounded up another telescope or two. My boss, Wilma and Best, retrieved a few dollars from the petty cash drawer and sent us to the grocery store. We wrangled a big coffee pot from someone and bought a few packages of cookies and hot chocolate mix. I grabbed a handful of napkins from the counter. As the sun went down and the sky darkened, we put on some jackets to fight the chill in the air and talked about how the next time the comet would pass, in 2061, I would be a mere 100 years old. We crossed our fingers in the hopes that we wouldn't be drinking hot chocolate alone. In a few minutes, we looked up and literally gasped from our seats in the pavilion. As far as we could see up and down Highway 37, there were cars lined up at a standstill, waiting to turn into the entrance to the Monette City Park. We had some people from the ages of small infants to well into their 90s showing up to get a glimpse of Haley's Comet at our Comet Watch party. A few years later, we would watch the movie Field of Dreams, the scene with the cars where Kevin Costner's character truly realizes if you build it, they will come, always reminded us of our Haley's Comet Watch event. A few nights later, we would host a slumber party at our home on College Street in Aurora. We took an almost three-year-old Cody Estes Murray 
an 11-year-old Chad Estes, and a 14-year-old Chantel Metlock Miller to a field near Marionville to look at the stars and Haley's Comet. We put on our coats, grabbed a thermos of hot chocolate, and a few blankets in the middle of the night. We made a big pile on the ground, looked at the stars while Dave told us what everything was, and how Mark Twain was born during 1835 when the comet visited, and died in 1910 when it came around again. In 1989 and 90, when we were preparing to welcome Jake into this world, David watched Lonesome Dove multiple times, entertained me with daily reenactments of Star Trek episodes and Andy Griffith quotes, and his own ideas of what we should name this new baby boy. We landed on Jacob because we liked the idea of the power of God's grace to protect him and us, embrace change, and renew the spirit. We chose Taylor as a tribute to Andy Griffith and our love for the old show. Besides, neither Jacob Spock or Captain Jacob James Tiberius Kirk sounded quite right. I also told him that even though I was clearly married to Ernest T. Bass, we were not naming our child Ernest T. anything. When we decided to add two middle names and name Jake, Jacob David Taylor McCulley, David danced around all day. The name was perfect. Our marriage ended in 1991. I will own my part of that, but I'm not talking about that today. It wasn't the ending to our story, though, as we remained friends and loyal protectors and supporters of our son. We had encountered several challenges, job changes, setbacks, and heartaches. We didn't always agree on the solutions and facing them. Loving him was never the issue. The truth is, he was easy to love, harder to hold. There's a song in there somewhere. We attended ball games, celebrations, and events together, and often discussed history, books, and movies. He told me I would find love again. I even loaned him money for a date. He also indicated he was probably not going to like it. My mom loved helping Dave, and to my crew, he remained Uncle Dave. My grandparents, especially my Grandpa Herman, thought he literally lit up the room with his talent and antics. There were many laughter-filled checker games that still resonate in my heart. While I was really sick with COVID last year and on a ventilator, I had an experience where I thought I was dead and could hear people talking about me in the past tense. At some point, I could hear Dave talking to me and telling me things I had waited 30 years for him to say. You were a good wife. You are beautiful, inside and out. You are a good mother. You are a hard worker. People love you. The world is a better place with you in it. Jake needs you. Please stay. I remember trying to raise my hand to tell St. Peter they had put me with the wrong guy. I had a new husband. The old one doesn't like me so much anymore. There's been some mistake. I was so confused. Later, when I talked to Jake and recounted this crazy dream, Jake informed me that I had somehow provided verbal consent to share medical updates with David and take his phone calls. That really was dad, Jake said, adding his dad had been so worried about me and Al, my husband, who was also fighting COVID at home. I called Dave to thank him for the kind words, and he had abruptly gone back to being gruff old turd Dave. Yeah, whatever. Don't thank me. You're here. and That's what matters. Don't get sappy on me, snake. Jake does need you. He growled a couple more things and hung up the phone. Last week, before we knew just how sick Dave really was, I talked to him in the emergency room in Aurora. He discussed life-preserving options with Jake. He turned to look at me and asked me what I had in place. I want everything but the kitchen sink if I've got a shot, I said. 
David nodded his head. I value life. David did too. But he knew where he was going. We had lots of talks through the years about heaven and the people we planned to see there. He crammed a lot of living into his almost 66 years. I told him I remembered all of the kind words he had said to me a few months ago. I asked him if I needed to repeat them to him. He shook his head and whispered no. I joked and made reference to another movie and said, Can I just say ditto? He nodded. Jake rolled his eyes, looked over at Jake and said, Ditto, ditto, ditto. He then began to show us how to count with hand signals in railroad talk and even sang a little song. The next night, he would talk about the Chicago fire of 1871 and sang, One dark night when we were all in bed, Mrs. O'Leary left a lantern in her shed, and when the cow kicked it over, she winked her eye and said, There'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. He was still being silly, still entertaining, and still teaching us something. He wanted Jake to sing with him. It was a sacred thing to watch. I made a couple of promises to David last week as the days passed and he was placed on a ventilator. I told him not to be afraid. The machines were helping him. The doctors and nurses knew what they were doing. I knew he could hear me. I sang another little song to him that we used to sing together. This world is not my home. He furrowed his brow and scrunched up his face. I know. You always made me sound better than I was, but I'm singing it anyway. We realized the possible outcome. One of those promises included sharing his stories and preserving his legacy. It will be difficult sometimes to tell them with him not around to correct the details of those stories. He wanted people to know how much he loved them. He wanted a celebration. He didn't want people to be sad. The night he passed, he was surrounded by love. His family, Macaulay's and Estes's, and a Macaulay Mobley snake-eyed girl, tossed in for good measure, held hands, prayed, sang songs, and gave him the best goodbye ever. He was so strong, right up until the end. He rallied enough to open his eyes, look into the big blue eyes of his son, and say, I love you. One last time, as a tear appeared on his cheek. It is sheer perfection that he was there for the first breath of his boy, and his son was there to witness the last breath of his dad. I don't think he suffered. I think he lived a life on his own terms, right up until the end. He showed us how to live, how to embrace special moments, and how to move to the next dimension with dignity and grace. Thank you all for being a part of his story. It is a good one. He was truly one of a kind. He loved Christmas, and he is celebrating right now in heaven, pounding away at that keyboard that he loves so well. He has a front row seat to explore the stars that always had him mesmerized. He is truly healed and finally home. And in the words of one of his favorite characters, Augustus McRae from Lonesome Dove, who spoke to Woodrow as he was dying, it's been quite a party, ain't it? Yes, Franklin David McCulley, it certainly has. And in the words of Spock, I have been and always shall be your friend. Ditto, ditto, ditto.